Welcome to Practice Freedom. What if you could hang out with owners and founders from all sorts of healthcare private practices, having rich conversations about their successes and their failures, and then take an insight or two to inspire your own growth? Each week on Practice Freedom, we take an in-depth look at how to get the most out of both the clinical side and the business side of the practice, get the most out of your people, and most of all, how to live the healthy life that you deserve. I'm Mark Henderson Leary. I'm a business coach and an entrepreneurial operating system implementer. I have a passion that everyone should feel in control of their life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. Part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations in order to make the biggest impact in your practice and ultimately live your best life. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to Practice Freedom. This is Mark Henderson Leary, of course. This is my sort of first, well, not sort of, this is definitely my first solo podcast in the new format. And I just was inspired from some of the conversation I had with Dr. Jason Lake around the concept of prediction and what that is in a business. And what he was talking about was that feeling free in your practice or in your business in any way ties sometimes back to fear. It does tie back. He didn't say that word, but that's the issue. We are afraid of the, of bad things happening in the business. And anytime there's a change in revenue or profit or anything that as the needle moves up and down, as we're looking at the data, patient visits, profit, revenue, anytime it goes down. And I personally experienced this. It doesn't matter how much more profitable the practice is. It doesn't matter how much bigger I get. Year on revenue is going up by, you know, 20%. As soon as there's any kind of nose down, it's like being in an airplane. As soon as you feel like the plane going down a little bit, losing altitude, oh my God, here it is. This is, we're crashing. This is the end of it. It doesn't matter if you're 35,000 feet in the air. (laughs) It just feels like this is the end. And that's real for most emotionally leading entrepreneurs, practice leaders. And what he said is, you know, after 25 years, he figured out the pattern that, you know, it's a little slower in the fall. And it took him a long time to, to get there. But the, one of the first disciplines that I teach my clients is this concept of prediction, the skill of evaluating what's about to happen. And there are two types of prediction, at least in the EOS system, we talk about two, but lots of ways you could slice this. But the two that I like to focus on are long-term prediction and then short-term prediction. Long-term prediction is really understanding where are we going that is of value and is intentional. This is taking control of our power, taking control of our life, taking control of our business and pointing it in a direction of meaning. And so these are the things that take 90 days or longer, you know, In the EOS system, we would call them rocks, but really anything that we're doing long-term needs to be thoughtfully assessed. And usually this is done with taking a full day or longer offsite in some capacity to have those conversations about where we're going. And there's lots of stuff in the tools and certainly read traction, look at the book and reach out if you understand the details of the questions. But just understand that the 80% of the value of prediction is stopping and asking yourself, what could happen? What is likely to repeat? What is likely to be a surprise? Or we're getting into the busy time of the year. We're getting into the time of the year where there's lots of vacations. Oh, it's summer. What happens during summer? And don't don't underestimate the habits and the power of the obvious questions. I remember the very first time I sat down with my budget coach, which I have a budget coach still, you know, at 50 years old, I still need somebody helping me make good decisions with my money because I'm just not wired to be automatically good at that. And uh, one of the things that he would ask me was, all right, what's, what are you going to spend money on in the next three months? 
And I didn't really even like the question. I'm like, how the hell should I know? <laughs> and so he's like, well, think about it. What's coming up? Is Thanksgiving's coming up. Oh yeah, that's right. Thanksgiving's going to come up. What, what's that going to cost? Or is there a different, is there going to be an impact to that? And I thought about it. Well, I don't know, maybe. And he's like, well, can you guess? Yeah. And so I, I guessed. And and that started the conversation of prediction, how I was now going to be able to assess how far off I was and what I thought was going to happen compared to what was about to happen. And so when Thanksgiving came and went, so I could figure out like, oh, I was oh, I way underestimated. There's a lot more things that I have to buy and do. And so that gave me a lot of valuable information to put me in control. And then fast forward another month or so, he's like, oh, what's going to happen in the next three months? And I'm like, oh, I hate this question still. Oh, well, is Christmas coming up? Oh, Christmas is coming up. Are you going to have to buy gifts? Oh, I'm going to have to buy gifts. Well, what are they going to cost? I don't know. I don't know. What well, can you make a guess? And so I did. And so getting through Christmas, I had made a guess and I was off by some percentage and I was able to get a little bit better. So fast forward a few years, like, well, I know exactly what Christmas costs now. <laughs> I know exactly how to put budgets in place. And so just asking the question of what's about to happen over the next three months is a good place to start, by the way. The quarter quarterly pulse is a really good pulse for business. You also want to be able to do that on a yearly basis. That's a slightly more sophisticated skill based on having some better sense of vision. But this idea of just taking a minute or an hour or a day and just asking that question so innocently and say, you know, we're going to get into the end of the year now. Are people about to be on vacation? Are budgets about to tighten up or expand? Or are, are our patients or clients about to want to spend a bunch of money because vacation is available and they're able to get out of school and do those kind of things? The prediction question is really important and you must collect that in form of data. Now that ties back into short-term prediction. Short-term prediction is less about that intentionality of the bigger impact. It's more about taking stock of what's actually unfolding. And if we want to be in our destination of choice, we want to measure our progress along the journey. Are we getting the steps? You know, if we're going to be in the mountain range by winter, how many miles per week do we need to track? And we want to evaluate the consequences of what's unfolding. A lot of times, you know, we want to make 20 miles a week, the famous 20 mile march, and we get 15 miles. There's consequences to that. We're going to have to make up five miles at some point, or we're going to run out of food sooner. The waypoint is, you know, using metaphorically. But also metaphorically, what happens if you gain more progress? Does that have implications as well? Are you, and so in the real world, if you expect to have a certain amount of patients or visits or transactions, in you, the scarcity mindset, which is the default mindset, we're watching for the downside. We, we, were, we underperformed. And so that's actually good to know, of course, if we underperformed last week on a weekly basis, we're, we need to react to that. Do we need to change our behavior this week to make up for that or change our expectations for the month or the quarter and make sure that doesn't surprise us? So short-term prediction is really about taking the surprises out, putting us back in control of the activities on a weekly basis so we can not be surprised to take the surprise out of everything. But I also want to really drive home this point of scarcity versus abundance. And we call, I cover this in the podcast, and I, this, I talk about this a lot. I cover this in the podcast with Jason, but this will come back. Scarcity and abundance, very different. I very much espouse the idea of abundance mindset, the belief that there's enough for everybody. It is a loving, caring, generous approach, and it is hopefully lacking in fear. But we're not wired to be there. This is a sort of a spiritual, idealistic pursuit a lot of times, because we do see things as human beings that could go wrong much more easily than the things that could go right. And so we have lots of tools and behaviors that respond to scarcity. We know how to hustle. We know how to eat less. We know how to cut budgets. It's painful and we don't like doing it. And sometimes we do avoid it, but we can do it. It's, a, it's something we got skills for. 
abundance mindset, what if food is too cheap? What if food is too, what if we have too much food and too much space? Well, we don't, that's the disease of our society. We're eating too much and we're going out too much and we got too much stuff collecting and too many square feet in our house. We, as a society, generally are just struggling to get any meaningful progress on solving those problems. And they actually end up being quite impactful and severe psychologically and leads to burnout and frustration and guilt and all kinds of things that really make a big difference. But in our business, the same thing is true. If we feel like we don't know how to deal with the ups and downs of the practice of the business, uh, we might go to a tool of scarcity. We might go, you know, let's market more. Let's get more leads in because, you know, it turned down a little bit. And we might be unintentionally feeding in more clients who are not the best clients for us that are maybe the source of the problem. We got too many unpredictable clients, flaky clients, clients who don't and patients who don't buy what we sell. And so we're creating unhealth in the organization by responding to a change in the force, a change in the patterns that doesn't need a tool of scarcity to solve it. So Jason talked a lot about this idea of saying no, and we're going to talk a lot about that in what our core focus and our core values and our target market is. But if you short-term predict that you're overperforming, we got more visits, we got more things on the schedule, we got more things coming to us, do not underestimate the impact of that. If you're busier than expected, what will that lead to? You know, burnout of your staff. Can you hire enough people to take care of that? That's a huge issue for many of my practice clients and across all industries, but certainly none more significant than in the healthcare world. The feeling of inability to get the staff to support and run the practice. And that's real. So there's there's only four things we can do in that. And that's a whole other podcast, but I will I will just kind of touch on it here. There's only four things you can do when you're resource constrained, and that is to Retain your best people better. When I say resources, I mean people. Retain your best people better. That's the first one. The second one is you can recruit more of the best people better. The third one is you can improve efficiency through process. So you need less people and increase consistency with the people you've got. And the fourth thing is you can say no in some way. Now, like I said, we can unpack this in great detail, but no has many forms. It's not just no. It's oftentimes not today or not that thing, something else, or not at that price, or not under the conditions you were suggesting. But th- those are the only four levers you've got. So we can keep our people better, we can find more better people, and we can make it more efficient, and we can say no. Now, in terms of the efficacy, each of those has its limitations, except for the fourth one, painfully and weirdly. We can retain our best people within, you know, we can only retain the people we actually have, right? So if we don't have enough people, we can only make that a zero loss game. But even that's hard to do because people's lives change and they do need to leave for many reasons outside our control. The second one is, you know, it might be difficult to find the right people, especially if we're not that great at doing it. We might not know our best person. We might not have a culture that's healthy enough to continue to attract great people. And we might be on the early stages of the flywheel, rebuilding our culture to be one that people like to work in. And we might just be learning to understand how to describe that to people. And so hopefully that's one we can make very powerful. That one has a lot of elasticity when we get good at it. We can recruit well and accurately and aggressively when we make the conscious effort to get good at that. The third one, process has sort of a a percentage of existing work. You can make somebody twice as effective if you're really good. Some processes, super innovative, can eliminate entire positions. But on average, it's not something that most companies who are struggling with resources can suddenly innovate their way out of a 2x, 3x problem. 
It can make 30% more efficiency. That can happen. But understand the limitations of that as well. But if you've got lots of low-hanging fruit in process, if everything is running out of people's heads, you got 14 different ways of doing something, do go there because it can make a huge difference in retaining those original people because their job's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to find people because now they don't have to be so darn brilliant. They can follow the process and you're like suddenly much happier with people's performance because their job is actually doable. You thought it was easy before, but it's actually nearly impossible. And process is the way to expose that. But that fourth one, the no, that's the one's limitless. That's the one you can say, you know, we can scale the practice down or we can take no more visits, no more customers. We can do that. But it's the hardest one because we don't know when and how to do that if we haven't gotten crystal clear on our best customer. We haven't gotten crystal clear on what we're going to tell somebody as to what, they're, what they can do instead. And so we need to build some disciplines around that. But it is really important to be able to do that if we have assessed, especially, take this back to the conversation in terms of short-term prediction, we look at our outcomes and we think, if we keep going down this path, we can predict that bad things will happen. We will not land where we want to land. We will upset customers. We will upset patients. We will burn out doctors. We will do bad things to our brand or create profit problems or any of those things that can come from the prediction. So just be aware of watching for anything in the abundance mindset and scarcity, of course, that can come from the patterns we're seeing now in the form of short-term prediction. Anyway, that was a quick little hit on the idea of prediction. Happy to unpack more of that in the future. Reach out if you've got questions. But that's it for this solo podcast. Hope that was valuable. Share with your friends. Subscribe if you want more things like this. Give us feedback if you want something different as well. We're happy that you're here. And I'm very much looking forward to continuing the journey with you guys on it. Definitely, this is a journey together. Lots to unpack. And your feedback is going to help guide us. And so thank you for listening. Thank you for your contributions. And we'll see you soon. 